0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome. This is Molly Rowan Leach, and I am the founder and director of Molly Rowan Presents, and also your host for this ongoing series, uh, telecouncil series on restorative justice and social healing in the U.S. and beyond. And it's so great to be back with everyone tonight. Um, We are going to... Ignite up uh, this 2012 series here and keep going with our Thursday 5 p.m. time. Um, some of our upcoming uh, guest speakers include Dominic Barter of Restorative Circles and Anael Harpaz, an Israeli-Palestinian poet, um, excuse me, an Israeli poet who works with uh, Israeli and Palestinian young women And uh, so we have have some wonderful lineups coming up here in the next month or two. Stay posted at mollyrowanpresents.com. And you can also find archives of every single um, guest speaker conversation at that same website, which is mollyrowanpresents.com. A few words uh, before I introduce our phenomenal uh, guest tonight, Um, A few words about the room that we're gathered in. I'm really enjoying the the climate of of making people feel fully at home to ask questions even when we're not in Q&A, per se, um, sections of our time together. So how this will roll tonight and how we will continue to roll is uh, just the open invitation that if you'd like to make a reflection or a comment during these conversations, um, just press one on your telephone keypad, if you would, please. That's that's just simply pressing one on your telephone. There's been a little confusion uh, surrounding that. So um, that will signal us to to unmute your line so that you can get involved in the conversation. So without further ado, uh, I am very excited and honored and uh, just in awe of our guests speaker, um, Susan Partnell. Uh, her path has has been so rich and robust. And um, of course, tonight's theme, she's going to go pretty deeply into compassionate listening and also speak a little bit around her work with um, in trainings around restorative circles and, and other aspects of her incredible life of service. And um, she is passionately committed it's grassroots citizen action, peacemaking, dialogue, and community building. And Susan facilitates processes that transform conflict and promote co-intelligence, all arising from a deep belief that we can and must listen our way to wholeness and find our essential humanity through connection and dialogue. Um, And as I'm just in awe here and thinking about her path, she has given decades of service to create grassroots networks that work collaboratively and compassionately from the founding of Families for Peace in the early 80s to Global Citizen Journey in 2003. She's also joined Delegations of the Compassionate Listening Project to the Middle East, Peace Trees Vietnam, and the Citizens Train to Washington, D.C., Um, She led Global Citizen's Journey's inaugural trip to the Creeks area of the Niger Delta, where they built friendship, leadership, and the area's first library. She's also founded in the past, uh, actually 25 years ago, she founded Partner Communications to be a catalyst for individuals and work teams seeking positive changes. She's the co-creator of Conversation Café, Let's Talk America, and served on the steering committee of the National Coalition on Dialogue and Deliberation, as well as a co-founder of the Transpartisan Alliance in Seattle. I could go on. (laughs) Um, There's so much uh, to this woman's path of service. And I I also would like to invite you all, if you haven't already checked out her, her bio, Um, on the Molly Rowan Presents page that uh, is listing where the the archive of tonight's call will be, please check out some of her upcoming events, including um, Compassionate Listening Two-Day Basic Intensive in Seattle and um, an intro to Compassionate Listening in New York City in uh, the end of February, upcoming here. Um, So I just really... I'm so glad to have you here with us, Susan. And um, perhaps uh, to begin the evening, we could just have you speak a little bit about um, your path and what what has inspired you. What's at the heart of what brought you to all of this incredible work and service in the world? Welcome, Susan, and welcome everyone.
1: Yes, welcome to everyone, and, and I know a few of you out there are uh, people I know, and I appreciate your, your presence. Although I, I can feel my face heating up to be called phenomenal and, and inspire awe is a little overwhelming because I feel like such an ordinary person that ha- I have a very deep and intense call to service and, and helping to heal our world. To me, it just feels like breathing. That's just what I need to do. And i Isn't it a lot of thought. You know, where does that come from? And I. part of it is a mystery. I think it's just the way I arrived on this planet. I can remember early, early experiences as a child being so drawn to diversity. I loved getting to know the, the other kids who were the most different than me, whether that be... Um, Ethnic or class or racial. I just wanted to go be with them and go to their family homes and experience those different worlds. Um, as I thought, I realized, while well, I was the youngest of three. Uh, my family was a, a loving but very passionate and intense family. Uh, it's a good thing all my sisters and I, all three, were able to be pretty powerful personalities because otherwise, there wouldn't have been a chance. And I I know as the youngest sister, I had an acute sense of fairness and sometimes of a lack of a sense of safety uh, compounded, I think, I'm Jewish and when I would hear the stories of the Holocaust and how neighbors could turn against you at any moment just because you were Jewish, that struck such terror and horror in my soul and my bones that, I think I resolved very early on that I refuse to live in a world where that's possible and that I must, with every fiber of my being, help create a world where that is unthinkable. Uh, I think that's really been the the biggest call, a world where there would be safety and connection, uh, where we would care about one another and have... And, and realizing that we need structures to do that. I think I was aware even of my privilege very early on when I would have some of those friends who were different than me and I, I felt a burden of that. I remember this one girl, Dorothy, I just really liked her. She, she was, uh, they were very poor, she had a single mom and I could see that I had so many privileges that she did not and I wanted to share what I could and um, so I, you know, I don't really know where that came from but it was there in, inside of me and I would respond to messages like in my high school years I was very inspired by John F. Kennedy and his uh, campaign and then of course when I showed up as a freshman. At the University of California, Berkeley, it was the year of the free speech movement, which seemed just perfect for um, what I was looking for. Um, And as I thought of this, I I also was just remembering kind of a classic story in my family that we could call the shower door. Um, (laughs) We had a little stall shower. My sisters and I shared a bathroom, and somehow the door got cracked. And my dad, who my friends would call Big Al, because even though he had a a sweet heart and could melt, but he was a really big guy and he could be pretty tough, and he wanted to know who did it, and it was just terrifying. And I think gave me also that experience that the system of retributive justice, of trying to prove guilt and innocence doesn't work. We weren't gonna, I mean, none of us actually did it and probably it was an earthquake or just a crack, of a fault that happened. But there was no way we felt safe enough, even if we had, that we would have revealed it. Uh, So it showed me that that doesn't invite truth-telling. You really need instead to create a, uh, well, what I've come to learn is a circle, agreements, um, and safety for people to be able to speak their truth. I feel like I've been talking a lot.
2: Mm. <laughs> I, I, don't I don't want to
0: interrupt your, your sharing here, Susan, but I also I, I would like to circle back to um, the very beginning uh, when you started there, I, I, that energy of like, that beautiful humility and understanding that it's like breathing, that what you're doing is like breathing and it's second nature for us all to be living the essence um, of of service in whatever way is our special and unique fit on, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, in whatever sector or place that is our passion and our, our, um, our calling. Mm-hmm. I I appreciate that so much about these times too that that we um we seem to be in such a time uh, right now where we're recognizing um at the same time the phenomenalness of each of us.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. So so that in some ways is where I'm coming from is just really acknowledging um because in my own experience with you up in Seattle <clears throat> I um you set a field that I'd like to go into tonight a little bit more when we get to to talking um, more granularly about uh, compassionate listening. listening. Mm -hmm. And perhaps you could share a little bit even about, uh, given when we talk about compassionate listening or when we think about listening, we think about the verbal realm, don't we? So, Mm. perhaps we could go into um the nonverbal realm as well and what kind of skills or awarenesses might be in that space as well <laughs> that might be important to consider um,
1: absolutely yeah, yeah. I, I do i think it's very much at the energetic level um yes uh, so we, yeah, so let, maybe we, we could
0: just go right into that tonight. And, um, I, you know, there's been quite a few people that have been joining us. Um, so I'd just like to mention again um, a very warm welcome to those of you just joining us tonight. And that throughout the call tonight, please press one on your keypad at any time that you feel moved to. Um, that uh, will alert me that you have a question or a comment for Susan Um, we like to to kind of roll with an open forum format here, but we have so many people on tonight's call that I I need to keep your lines muted. So, again, pressing one on your keypad if something seems really robust and you'd like to make a a comment or ask a question tonight. So Oh, and one other thing. I would strongly encourage you all to check out the CompassionateListeningProject.org And also the Compassionate Action Network, which are two uh, networks that Susan is very involved in. And there's a lot of events and great information. For for many of you probably are aware of of these two sites. But if you're not, it's CompassionateListeningProject.org and the Compassionate Action Network. So um, Susan, why don't we hop in? to talking more granularly then about compassionate listening. And um, perhaps you could start by providing a definition in your own words of what compassionate listening is.
1: Um, Sure. It's uh, first and foremost to me a personal practice, and it's definitely become my personal practice. So all of those um, yearnings and... The things I feel drawn to wanting in the world, uh, how could I actually cultivate that within myself and support myself? Because it's one thing to know that's how I want to be and the other to actually be able to be that. So the path that's helping me learn and develop some of that capacity uh, is, is the deepest part for me of compassionate listening as a personal practice, um, really developing um, my own self-awareness and ability to kind of manage my feelings and tap into that inner strength and wisdom that I do believe we all have. Um, and then it's a skill set, uh, especially beyond the nonverbal part when it comes to how we do engage with one another. So we have a lot of practices and skills that we teach and practice. And then it's also a process. So when we encounter another and we feel some disconnection. Compassionate listening is really all about connection. First and foremost to ourselves, to our heart, to the deepest core of ourselves. and and my philosophy and and our philosophy in Compassionate Listening is that at our core, we are whole and complete. And there's really nothing wrong with us. But we get hurt and wounded and so we get disconnected from ourselves and from each other. We go into defensiveness. Um, But if we go underneath that to the deepest level, we're whole and complete. So our practices are all geared to getting us back to that place within ourselves and so that we can then go from that heart place to that of the others. Um, so we also have processes when we come together and bring ourselves either one-on-one or a group together where there's a sense of disconnection or fear or whatever it may be, um, we have ways to Create that field we were talking about, where, where there'll be the safety and the chance uh, to seek deepest truth, and not feel like you just have to defend yourself. Um, and then we also believe that just offering our listening, this deepest kind of listening from my heart beneath the person's story uh, to to their essential being, is a real gift and can bring healing and comfort to a person who is, is in pain or feeling marginalized. So a personal practice and a skill set and a process and a healing gift. And it's very much heart based. And we have, uh, we've defined five core practices. And the first begins with compassion, which we've learned is, is a renewable resource. There are actual practices we can do to cultivate compassion for ourselves and others. Uh, And mainly it's through appreciation and gratitude, uh, which is a beautiful thing. And I'm, by the way, just looking out my west facing window at a beautiful sunset right now and I can feel the softening of my heart as I see the the beauty in the sky. Um, The second practice Uh, is to then develop what we call the fair witness. So that's that awareness that perhaps right now I'm feeling triggered or I'm feeling a little anxious. So just that bit of not being the anxiety but being a little bit apart, like go to the balcony and notice, hmm, there I am and I'm experiencing this. So that gives us some more capacity then to regulate and manage ourselves and Suspend, we're aware we're judging, so we can suspend the judgment and um, stay centered, even in a really challenging situation. Stay in connection to our own heart and have a chance to connect to the other. Um, the, the third practice is to respect self and others. So um, certainly, you know, when you think, "Oh, well, I'm going to." And I used to struggle, I used to struggle with this, like, okay, if I'm a compassionate listener, does that mean I always have to be available 100% of the time to anyone under any circumstances? Which, of course, could be a bit exhausting. Uh, (laughs) So we know it's not, we have to respect ourselves and be aware of our own needs. Um, And I don't, and and our own, not a boundary, but a, a membrane, like a healthy cell, as a membrane around it, uh, it obviously doesn't believe or experience being separate from the whole organism, but it has its own unique entity, and it allows good things in, but doesn't allow what's not good. So how do we develop that capacity by having that really clear core cellular sense of who we are and taking care of that, being a good steward of that, and then also respecting the other. A very important part of our work is to not get pulled into the drama triangle where I'm going to rescue somebody or feel like I have to fix them or tell them that I'm really going to see them as whole and complete and capable of figuring out what they need and I am there in loving presence as a witness and a companion um, to help them cultivate their own courage and capacity. To figure, out, to figure that out. So that's all part of respecting self and others. And as we develop these, these uh, practices, now we're truly able to listen from the heart, with our heart. So we're not just listening from our mind where we're judging or comparing or getting distracted, but we're really listening um, with compassion, with care from our deepest essential part as deeply as we can to theirs. And uh, and then, of course, we also have our truths to tell and we want to be able to speak that truth, that's very important, but to do it also from the heart with an intention of healing and connection. So those are our five core practices. And as you can hear, they're very inspiring and lofty. (laughs) And I, I always feel a little sheepish when I'm teaching it, because I remember my, my oldest sister once saying, how come you're not compassionately listening to me? <laughs> you know, because of course, of course, you know, I don't, especially, the, you know, she's probably the, the expert in my life that triggering me, would be my own beloved oldest sister. Um, but actually, I really appreciated that, because I realized, you know what, she was right and I resolved this was several years ago to really shift my relationship and um, and work these practices, and it's really changed it's it's a wonderful it's been a wonderful evolution for me, even in that challenging relationship. Wow so those yeah. are
0: those are powerful steps and practices, and each one of them is a universe. In and of itself absolutely <laughs> it, it, it yes. seems yes um you said something you've said so many uh, very poignant um you, you've pointed to so many amazing pieces around uh the these the, the process here um and one one thing that i that really struck me was the need to fix um the, you know you, you, you were speaking just briefly about that um, that when we come into dialogue um, somehow it almost I guess I should ask you do you do you see the experience of um, of that being embedded in in just our core DNA as humans um, you know the, 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 that that uh, that that that's something that we have to kind of Home through and work on um, so mm-hmm. that we have a, an understanding of when we're trying to fix something, whereas perhaps the best solution is just to, as you were saying, um, sit mm-hmm. in presence and allow that person to continue to be, you know, seen mm-hmm. from a space of compassion. I know yeah. for me, I have a tendency uh, to, you know, I've been learning around that piece for, for myself, certainly, of, mm-hmm. of, of how to, um, you know, understand really clearly even in the moment if I'm having an authentic and open ex- experience with either a group or an individual and really truly there for them in the listening process. Because I think mm-hmm. this is, it, it's so exciting to me to have you with us tonight because listening, really, this process is the foundation, I feel, for everything else. Mm -hmm. for for our restorative justice processes for the, you know, for healing, social healing of all kinds. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and you know, um, actually I would like to go ahead and open up the line for just a moment because we have someone that
1: that would
0: like to to ask a question or make a comment. Um, And by the way, those of you who are continuing to join us tonight, press one on your keypad throughout tonight's call if you'd like to ask a question or make a comment. Um, Linda, welcome. You're live. Linda.
2: I um,
1: yeah, I'm not hearing her.
0: Yeah, neither am I. Maybe
1: she's on mute and it'll take her um, a minute to figure
0: it
2: out. Yeah, let's see if the... Not okay, on there mute. she is. Hi, am I welcome, there? Welcome, Linda. Your Hi, chair. thank you, Molly, and thank you, Susan. Um, I've been working on... Um, those practices and and not obviously as well as I can because I come up um, with when someone does not want to be available for compassionate listening on the other side, I, I I get the frustration, I get the triggered. And, you know, for example, the other day where I work, I was, walking to the post office and some people had a sign out with Obama and a Hitler mustache and they were from Lyndon LaRoche group and, and tried to get into a discussion and I was met with that I needed to get educated and how wrong I was and I turned it into well that's hateful and you know I <laughs> I least <laughs> <laughs> failed my practice yeah. at that moment, and, oh. and so you know, in the in the larger world, that really that that doesn't work for my end result. And I'm just kind of curious in your experience of how long does that take to get to <laughs> that place, and is um. that is that Really possible to do all the time, I believe in my heart, yes, um, uh, just well thank conversation you, thank about you. That. yeah, it's you know, I
1: think that um and maybe if you ever listen back to this, you'll hear like to do it all the time i don't I don't know that we'd be capable of that. Maybe if we were like the Dalai Lama and we got up every morning, I think he gets up at three and spends four hours doing deep meditation to cultivate compassion in himself and the world. Uh, you know, I don't know too many of us who are able to do that. And So I think we have to be compassionate with ourselves and not judge. And just that you notice that that happened and it's leading you to question it and want to unpack it and what else do you, you don't like the way it went and you want it to go differently. That's a beautiful thing. Um, I think it's likely there are times when we can, well, we're going to get hooked. You know, my sister caught me. So I, I think it was important to, for me at that moment to not say, oh my God, I'm a failure. How could I teach this? But wow, here's another opportunity for learning. And um, in terms of the kind of situation that highly debate, an inflammatory situation you walked into, that takes practice and um, of many, many, many times. We have a great exercise we do in our workshop. We call it from debate to speaking from the heart, where you actually engage with a partner and get into that hot heated thing and actually get to practice, oh, I'm aware of it. I realize I'm hooked. I can make a different choice, and it's scary. And it takes making the choice in the moment, which we're not always willing to do if we're really hooked. Um, A little saying that helps me is I want to get curious, not furious. And um, another way I'm practicing that, and I don't always feel like doing it, is I'll turn on the TV, which in my case happens to be uh, Fox News, is the one that triggers me, could be PBS for other people. Um, but I listen and I know I want to start, and sometimes I do, rant and rave, how could they think that, they're so stupid, but other times I realize, okay, I want to practice my compassionate listening and shift into that other gear and get out of my righteous head and what are they really, you know, what is really going on here and get really curious and listen at those deeper levels and practice doing that. That's the work we're doing in the Transpartisan Alliance, uh, It's really challenging. We are steeped in a culture that's playing an old game of right and wrong and win and lose and objectifying each other. And we are surrounded by that. So I think we have to be very compassionate with ourselves that as we're awakening and getting glimpses of another possible way, I know that's always been my soul's deepest yearning. Now, was I able to do it? No, I'm I'm now, as you can imagine, when you listen to the introduction, it's not that I've done so much, but I've lived a long time, you know. This is my Medicare birthday this year, so I've got, you know, a a long history, and I'm just finally starting to um, integrate some of this, at least on my good days. So I think we have to not be hard on ourselves, because that's very discouraging, and really come together, in what some would call the sangha. I don't think we can do this alone, but when we come together in circles to support and practice, uh, that's part of what I love about restorative circles as well. It's, so for me, compassionate listening is the heart-based practice for me as an individual. Um, and then when I come together and help my community say, well, what could, how could we together help deal with these issues and differences and conflicts that's creating our restorative system together, and that's what's uh, the brilliant part of um, restorative circle system building. Uh, so we together we can help each other because the, the default and what we've been doing for so many years and see all around us is playing that old win or lose, right or wrong, black and white game rather than the both and. You know, it's pulling us back into the mechanical Newtonian world and. We now know it's a quantum world, but how do we behave? How do we be the particle and the wave? You know, it's it's really a huge, a huge leap.
0: Mm, wow. Well, thank you so much, Linda. And um, I just want to say, uh, last, this last week on the Evolutionary Lawyers series um, that I co-host with uh, author of Lawyers of Peacemakers, J. Kim Wright. We we had Sylvia Clute on with us, Susan and and everyone, and and she she was speaking to that very thing about the quantum mm-hmm. field informing. Um, it, it's already out there. But, uh, science has proven
2: <laughs> that we yeah. are not
0: separate. That we are not separate. And Sylvia yeah. was so eloquent um, in mm, how absolutely. she laid that out as it applies to the principles of. Of uh, unitive justice and mm-hmm. um, what she calls uh, our our punitive system, a system of proportional revenge. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd love to I'd love to go more deeply into this piece of it uh, of the conversation and how compassionate listening relates to and interweaves with the growing movement around unitive and restorative justice um, in just a moment, but. We do have another uh, hand up, and I'd really like Thank to you. honor
2: uh, that. So Susie, welcome. You're live. Thank you very much. Um, the question I have, and I'm totally um, unfamiliar with your work and um, what you're, I'm not unfamiliar with the concepts, but with your specific work. and I wasn't clear whether you actually teach a, a system. Of non nonviolent communication, it started to sound like you did. I'm i only been familiar with um, NVC nonviolent communication, mm-hmm. and I was wondering if you do teach a system. Do you interface with those other groups, and how do you do that, and and for what purpose? Like, do you have a larger goal yes. in coming together? That's my question.
1: Thank you so much for that question, because I was. I remember at one moment in my mind I thought, oh, I need to explain our roots because um, we have beautiful roots and we stand on the shoulders of so much. Uh, So compassionate listening is indeed a practice. We sometimes call ourselves a sister practice to NBC, the brother practice. Um, So our practice of compassionate listening emerged in the 80s and 90s out of our work in the Middle East. Uh, we were first the Middle East Citizen Diplomacy Project, came out of the work of the Earth Stewards with David and Perry, and we wanted to go and listen to all sides and help bring about healing as citizen diplomats, and we soon found it sounded good, but boy, were we getting triggered just like uh, Linda's story, and it you know, wasn't going down the way we wanted so we needed to learn more, and we met at that time, especially Leah Green, who was our uh, the, the founding director of, of Middle East Citizen Diplomacy, which became the Compassionate Listening Project. She met Jean Knudsen Hoffman, a beautiful, wonderful teacher out of uh, the Quaker tradition, where, by the way, I also attended Quaker meetings for years, which was astonishing as a Jewish person to learn to be quiet
2: <laughs>
1: and, and silent. I learned so much and I, I think the Quakers are at the heart and base of so much of what we know about anything around dialogue and group process. So so June Hudson-Hoffman had been spending her entire life on this and she in fact coined the term compassionate listening and she just fell in love with Leah and mentored her. Uh, Jean had also worked with Thich Nhat Hanh, a beautiful Buddhist teacher. And so our practices are very deeply spiritually based and have those um, threads of Buddhist and Quaker practice as well as uh, and Perry was also very spiritual, uh, spirit in action. Uh, so as we started to form this practice, we realized this was the real calling that we had to bring to the world was the practice of compassionate listening. So now we still do work in the Middle East, but it's a project under the larger umbrella. So we, we know, uh, we, you know, we've met with Marshall Rosenberg and respect and honor all of that work. It's a beautiful thing, and it's spread like crazy. In a, in a way, it's, you know, that NVC has gone like viral in a way that, our practice has, and we're always puzzling what it is, you know, what could we learn about that. I think at the deepest level, at the deepest, deepest level, when you get beneath all form, they're the same. They have to be the same. Uh, But I think our approach to teaching and learning uh, is different, and that's why we call it kind of the sister practice, where it's more intuitive, uh, it's very heart-centered, um, the form, we don't talk about the form, You know, the, the, any specific uh, words, so, but they definitely are uh, very mutually reinforcing and compatible and I would love to invite anyone who does NBC to come to our training and see what you might take from that to enrich your work. I've certainly enjoyed uh, the many trainings I've gone to from NBC. Oh, that I hope that note
0: too. Um uh, Susie, you might uh you might check out the listings um for trainings in the Seattle area that, that Susan is doing, um, as well as in New York City on February twenty fifth, I believe. Um mm-hmm. those are posted directly at the Molly Rowan Presents site uh where you probably registered <clears throat> as as will be the archive posted there. Um, I hope that helps, Susie. Are you be good?
2: Yes, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs>
0: okay. Thank you for being here. So, um, Susan, I'd love to go kind of back um, around to the interweaving of, um, of how compassionate listening supplements restorative justice or mm-hmm. perhaps underpins and foundations restorative justice. Um, and perhaps why listening, I think you've gone so deeply already into why listening is so key to healing and justice. Mm -hmm. And then maybe speaking a little bit about um, your work with Dominic Barter in restorative, restorative circles trainings And then at the end of tonight's call, before we close, I'd really love to also have you share about your work um, that is fairly recent in women's prisons, uh, yes. or prisons okay. in particular. So let's let's right. go into a conversation a little bit around um, how listening, uh, compassionate listening sure. in- interrelates with restorative mm-hmm. and justice. And, and tell us what your thoughts are on uh, uh, as far as a definition, if you'd like,
1: uh, of, 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 what,
0: of what restorative justice is, what restorative mm-hmm. circles are, yes. Thank
1: you. Oh, sure. Well, to me, restore... Well, I think I I shared a a story once with you when I was... uh, I've done some work in Liberia in the last couple years um, through Global Citizen Journey, and I was reading about the attempts there to bring the rule of law, which I thought, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, bring the rule of law. But as I learned more deeply, um, that's bringing our paradigm of our system of justice, which is who did it, who's right, who's wrong, how do we punish them? And the indigenous practices, including those in Liberia, are all about how do we get back into connection? And I loved this one report I was reading there that said uh, people did not want to access the justice system, they didn't trust it, first of all, but also they loved their own traditions because you would leave the circle smiling and I think in a way to me that's the best definition that what we're trying to do is what we really want to do when something happens when there's an injury a, a mistake a crime a harm a conflict we want to get back into connection in our community we want people to have trust restored we want to feel honored the suffering, we want the suffering to end, we want, if there's needed, reparation, apology, forgiveness, the capacity to be together again with a restored connection. So uh, for me restorative justice is any process that helps bring that about where the intention is healing and reconnection and restoring and taking care of the needs of everyone the person who was hurt, the entire community, and the person who was the author or actor. In, in restorative circle practice, we call it the, the author. Um, we're trying to keep out because I, I love the, I think it was, I don't remember where I was reading this story recently about uh, someone in jail saying, you know, well, were you the uh, offender? And he said, well, it depends on what time the police showed up when do you intervene in a conflict? Who who is the perpetrator, who is the victim? It's, It's, that's a false dichotomy. You know, there's something that's happening and we pull ourselves into a dynamic and it takes on a life of its own and we're all responsible. So for me, a restorative justice system and the restorative circle process does it beautifully because one unique element to RC, I would call it restorative circles, is that you always have to have at least three parties to have the circle. The the author, the receiver, you know, some, something happened, somebody created something, somebody was affected by it, and then the community who is impacted by it because we are not alone and independent. Um, you know, if it was that small of an incident where it's just the two people, probably, you don't need a circle, but for the most of the bigger incidents in our world, it, it affects everyone. And so we all come together with an, with an intention of building understanding and connection, taking responsibility, and once we get through that, then we can say, all right, how do we move forward in a way that is healing for all of us? And um, that that to me is what restorative justice is, Intended to do and what RC does in a very beautiful and elegant uh, way. Um, so should I talk a little more about some of the specific ways that compassionate listening that I see they connect? Or do you have a question?
0: Um, I, I was just really deeply listening to you um, <laughs> around the you know the the principles of the of restorative circles and. Um, thinking a lot about our hesitance to, you know, to fully be seen, you know, because of the fact that we're, you know, we seem to have our guard up to a certain degree, mm-hmm. you know, varying in certain situations, and um, and it was so rich what you said, and also Sylvia Clute again said said something similar mm-hmm. about um, the, you know, the even the limbic system is so triggered by the way our uh, justice system is set up, the court system, that Mm -hmm. it really makes it almost impossible to feel safe, which seems to be a baseline requirement, right, Um, for Mm -hmm. for there to be in this field that we're speaking of tonight, in setting a field for there to be um, the possibility of deeper listening of compassionate listening, even where, where perhaps even our expectations of result are cleared, um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, really having this, this, these senses viscerally so in so much that that um, that we're able to, you know, to find a path into um, an interconnected field, even with the other. Um, yeah. and we we seem like we're really at a point now where we recognize um to varying degrees in, in our human consciousness that we are uh interconnected and and how do we go about then um breaking you know, or dissolving, you know, being kind to ourselves, of course, as you've been saying. Dissolving these fears around, um, you know, around vulnerability, and oh, you know, what what would happen if if I actually um, opened myself up to this this dialogue in in such a a, a beautiful way? So, yeah, like, what um, if
1: I actually was the one who broke the shower door? What would happen? if it's safe to say it?
2: <laughs> so, right. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So I think when a community comes together and co-creates the system, which is a very important part of restorative circles. So you don't it's not it doesn't always look the same. It's it emerges, you work with your community to co-create the model that will work for your own community uh, so that it maximizes that sense of comfort, connection, and safety. And you know everyone's coming together with the intention of finding the way through, um, and then the idea that conflict is an invitation. And I mm. think it has mm-hmm. such a bad ra- reputation in our world. We're so afraid of it because we're in mm-hmm. that delusion that it's a win-lose game. And so it's mm. too scary. I have too much at risk. But if instead we realize, and, I, and I, Thomas Crum is great in his work on the magic of conflict and Of of sharing these ideas that it's not a win-lose game and that conflicts not negative it's just an indicator and the other day I was talking to a a friend she was telling me how uh, she's learning about hypnosis and in a way they believe we're all walking around in a trance and I think we are because we have this illusion of separateness that we now know is not true but that's our experience so we're in like a little bubble is what I was imagining of my trance and when there's a conflict there's a little like zzz, a little zap somewhere which all of a sudden makes me realize oh my god there's a bubble that is really scary because I thought this is the way it is um, so we want to avoid conflict or prove that the other person's wrong so I can keep my little bubble but if we can get courageous enough and I think we can only do that in community to realize oh how interesting there's something there that I am not aware of, and conflict is the very place that will take me to that edge where I can learn something new. There's something I am not seeing and you're not seeing, and that's where we can co-create a new solution. So it's so vital and essential to, I think, our evolution and to solving the many Problems that we're experiencing, especially at this moment on this planet, um, and conflict is the path. Move towards mm. the conflict, and mm-hmm. there we will discover, in part out of necessity, new ways, new, opt- new possibilities, that it's not either or, but if we realize it's the both and, what are we missing? Um, so, I, you know, and I think restorative circles are just a brilliant, beautiful place that creates a container where it's possible for that to happen. There's okay. Another couple of very vital principles is that it is a circle of shared power, and that's a challenge for anyone like me who want who shows up sometimes as a facilitator because it's not you're a very light. Facilitator, You're simply a member of the community who's kind of tracking the process, maybe doing very little, um, kind of just watching is meaning flowing here or does the question need to be asked. But you have a, it's really owned by the circle. So it's shared power. It's always voluntary. You cannot require or force someone, um, which that just tickles my mind back to what Linda's story was, you know, someone might not be interested or ready in, uh, I think people are always ready to be heard. We can always listen, but if we're wanting to have a dialogue, they may not be ready for that. Um, so there's a wonderful practice in our restorative circle where someone could join as a representative if there's someone who doesn't want to come the community can still move forward and someone shows up as a um, substitute for them. Sort of the way uh, Dominic uses the the example of a substitute on the soccer field. You know, you're still playing that position, but you're you in that position. Um, So voluntary, shared power, um, co-created, and it adapts to that community, although there's also some very specific steps to the process, and uh, there's a pre-circle where you, so everyone knows what to expect and get, and feel heard, and in fact are heard, and listened to so they can perhaps, so this is where when I start to think of compassionate listening, I feel, um, which is interesting, because Dominique comes out of the tradition of NBC, um, and I come out of the tradition of compassionate listening, and. What I see is it's not a requirement that anyone be a compassionate listener, but the more capacity we all develop, that really strengthens the field. So if in these pre-circles I'm able to really offer compassionate listening to the person, um, which I know NBC will say they're giving empathy. So it's it's a similar process, but there's just a little different... uh, vibrational sense to it for me in any case, but um, I certainly see in our group, in our groups who are studying compassionate listening that adding RC brings another set of tools to give a body to conflict, especially if it's a kind of complex one in a community uh, that adds more tools in ways of, of using compassionate listening. And when I think of compassionate listening being this heart-based practice, I feel if we can come in this circle and bring that heart energy, which uh, through the work of heart HeartMath, uh, we know literally shifts the vibrational field. Uh, so the more people have had that training and that capacity of, of that deep compassionate level, it really, creates an even safer, stronger field for healing to mm. occur. And and we sure see this boy in our trainings when I think of how people show up now and how quickly we can go so deeply and people are so willing and able to disarm themselves, to show up, to be vulnerable, to share their stories. It used to take much longer. So I think we are... It's like uh, what Sheldrake, if you're familiar with his talk of the morphogenic field, we're just co-creating that deeper and deeper and deeper. So to me, these, these energies of compassionate listening and restorative circles join together in such a powerful way that it's really the heart of our collective being that we're able to connect to in that restorative circle.
0: Wow and and that was Rupert sheldrake that that Susan just referred to. I'm sure many of you know of his work. And um, it also you spoke to something a moment ago that uh, i I have a mutual colleague um, in James O d who mm-hmm. loves to speak to um, as it relates to the the power uh, the subtle power of of listening. As, as it relates to our, our, our um, energetic field and resonance, and when, when we're in that space of deep listening, we actually match up with the, earth, the Earth's frequency, which is called the Ooh. human res- resonance. So <laughs> um, wow. they're, they're, And you were speaking about heart maps work uh, they're phenomenal work in, in the toroidal field, the heart field studies and, um, mm-hmm. you know, so the science is just pointing us back to our interconnectivity and all the power that we have um, to really shift uh, into a space quite, you know, quite effortlessly with yeah. these tools and practices um, at hand. And like you said, being together in these processes, being a yeah. Sangha, a circle and you know, Susan, we're we're getting close here to the oh, top of know, the hour, I,
1: and I really I would like to. Yeah, I don't know about the prison, so I was just that yeah. was just a great segue to me because it's been fascinating to go into uh, the, and I don't want to just say Purdy because it's the Washington Correction Center for Women, which is it's in it's colloquially known as Purdy. Uh, so it's a large women's prison, and we they have an amazing uh, community there that they've been able to develop over the last year and a half called the Women's Village. And so the women who are coming to the trainings that we give are motivated. It's voluntary. And even there in the midst of this very disturbed field, we are able when we get in a circle to create this very different... Um, way of relating and connecting and allowing people to, to soften and feel safe for at least the time that we're together and to see the power of, of listening. So one little variation that through my compassionate listening work that we've introduced is to begin our trainings with some of our basic compassionate listening exercises. So we start with some silent centering and reflection and then doing paired listening where the people are really listening from heart to each other, three minutes of uninterrupted speaking and listening. That is, that is so simple, and it is completely transformative. Um, so it, it starts to shift the field right away because the person, you know, and I remember my Liberian friend saying the first time he did this, it changed everything for him. And I think the women in the prison feel this because he said, I am seen. I am honored. I am held as a whole being. And, and he really had never experienced that before. And just by sitting across from a partner, kind of knee to knee, and anchoring in your heart with this intention of just witnessing with loving kindness and compassion is an enormous gift. So we start our sessions with that and um, it's so powerful to see the women respond to that, uh, that very simple thing. And then they're so hopeful and excited about the process of restorative circle. So we're doing, we've done some introductions and we're launching now into the train the trainer. We'll co-facilitate with them and after, we don't know how long it'll take hopefully they'll be able to, um, you know, to function more independently. This particular prison has the highest rate of violence in the state and so they're very hopeful that this is gonna help um, transform that so that it can become a part of the culture there. And we're hoping even, sometimes just knowing you can call a circle can shift the energy, so calling a circle meaning, oh, this is happening, I'm upset, I have an outlet, I have a way to restore this. You know, there's something Mm. I can do, I don't have to settle it right now. And then the process of the pre-circle, where once I ask for a circle, a facilitator is gonna come and listen to me as the one asking for it, help me identify the specific event, which helps me get my thinking clear, what is it really about? give me a lot of this loving listening so I feel heard and maybe I can calm down and really get at what it's really about. And then they're going to go listen to the other people that I feel need to be there in the circle so everyone gets pre-circled in that way. Then we all come together and the brilliant part is um, starting with the present. How are people impacted? So this, uh, so now I'm getting into, oh wait, I wanted to, They focus more on the specifics at the Women's Center, so they are very excited. They're learning the skills. Um, Many of them have had other workshops, for example, a lot of the NBC people have been out there, so many of them do have a lot of great communication skills. And we know that um, what excites me is three-fourths of them are moms, so it's going to help them all with their parenting skills. Um, Within 18 months, most of them do get uh, um, released, so they are going to go back out into their communities with these tools, with these skills, and that's not the usual um, choir, you know, as you say, we often speak to the choir, not that we don't get wonderful people in all of our trainings, but I don't think we're getting the same individuals that the, released um, prisoners are going to reach when they go to their home community and change the way they are parenting and they're they're feeling so empowered with all of this. So it's extremely inspiring. And of course for myself, it's such a privilege to get to know these women and um, realize how really any one of us could have ended up there. We just had to have a little different luck circumstance, decision making in a certain moment. Um, so I'm very humbled and it gives me greater appreciation for my freedom and what freedom is. Uh, so it's mm. been a privilege to, mm-hmm. to be with the women and uh, they, of course I would never want to be there but sometimes I leave with a sense of envy for the beautiful community that they have and that they're living with. Uh, day in and day out. So it's, it's been a wonderful experience.
0: And Susan, how, how did you... Uh, I know that we're running over just a little bit here, but I hope for those of you that can stay with us, I'd, I'd just like to have Susan, if you would, speak just a, a little bit more to how you got in with the mm-hmm. prison and do you have a template um or do people take the train the trainer specifically for this women pr- women's prison work or of course perhaps it could be you know men's prison work i know that there was right. there, there, there was a yeah. young woman um there was a young woman who uh, submitted a question um asking uh about you know where she could go to find more training and information um you know uh educationally, yes. collegiately, that that sort of line.
1: Um, Great. Those, well, I, yeah. There. Okay. Well, that's, that's a number of questions. First, again, thank you for the question because I'm not the initiator of this project. A wonderful woman in our community, Sue McCarthy, who worked uh, through the Freedom Project, which is a wonderful project in Seattle to help felons uh, who are released reintegrate into the community. So there's been a lot of work, and I think most communities, there are enormous numbers of volunteers going into prisons, and I, if you even just Google or go onto your website for your own state, you could find how to become a volunteer. You have to get some training to be accepted as a volunteer to understand uh, some of the, it's it's pretty sobering (laughs) just to be able to be a volunteer there. And then there are projects you could connect with. Uh, and we 'd be happy to talk to people about what we 're doing. This is emergent, so i can 't say we have a template we 're figuring it out right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole idea with Dominic as well he 's only been coming to the states for the last two or three years, so it 's new, and he 's just trying to figure out how do you become uh, competent or he wouldn't ever he would never use that word. What's the best, the wisest way to nurture this and spread it? Um, mm-hmm. Well, I used to call it with conversation, cafes with fidelity and integrity. You know, no one wants to control it, but to really get the essence of it. So I am simply an apprentice now. I'm apprenticing is what we're calling it with Dominique. So I've gone to a number of his trainings here in the States. The challenge is he's still in Brazil. So he only occasionally comes to the states to offer trainings. People could find those at restorativecircles.org. And I think that that, I mean, there's nothing like being directly with him as the transmitter of this, because he really, it seems to me, embodies and lives it. We can say shared power, but are we really living it? And we're, you know, I know my little bubble gets zapped all the time, so I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh my assumption here. So he, it's absolutely, and there's many videos. He, and you're going to get to hear him on your program soon. So he's really the um, transmitter. I'm simply trying to learn to integrate it and I'm second generation. So uh, people mm-hmm. should go to the source. But there are trainings and we're just, a, we're, we're struggling and working with this here in our Seattle community. We're launching a pilot project. How can we, share this with more people? How can we do it when we're still learners? So these are big questions mm-hmm. and we is are it? taking them very seriously and working really hard. We have a practice group which is a beautiful way to, for you, to work on yourself and on learning the skills. So um, there's a lot happening and I think between all these websites or people are free to email me if they didn't get their question answered. And I'm at
0: susanpartnell at um, gmail.com. That's susanpartnell at gmail.com. And also, of course, at CompassionateListeningProject.org. We don't need the the project. Oh, excuse me. CompassionateListening.org. As well as the Compassionate Action Network which is a phenomenal Ming uh, global network of compassionate communities and individuals offering a a great variety of um, trainings and events, not just limited to the Seattle area. It's growing quite rapidly. Um, So uh, Susan did mention that Dominic Barter is going to be coming up as one of our guests on this series. That date is to be announced as soon as possible. It's in the next month that he'll be joining us. And I just want to say thank you all tonight for being here with us. What a wonderful group. And um, Susan, for all that you are uh, in your breathing and living through uh, you, these practices and trainings and everything that you're doing in the women's prison. Thank you so much. And uh, look forward to keeping connected with your work and hearing more as it evolves. And um, for, the, for tonight's archive, it'll be posted at mollyrowanpresents.com and just wish you all a very, very peaceful evening and the rest of your week. Thank you, Susan, once again.
1: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.
0: And the pleasure is mine. And thanks, everyone. Have a good night.
1: Good NIGHT.